Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. And so, um, just want to recap here on the Gospels. They're unique in their approach, but in their different accounts of the life of Christ, they are seamless. They are without error. They are without contradiction. And this proves that they are divinely inspired. How many times have you played the game telephone with people or seen little children play it and realize it's virtually impossible for everyone to get the same story straight, right? And the Gospels prove the miraculous power of God and his willingness to talk to individuals because they all essentially say the same thing in different ways. There is one author of the Bible. There is one author of the Gospels. And so through this overview, we're looking at each one individually. And one of the benefits of this kind of studying of Scripture is that it enables us to highlight the diversity among these four writers as individuals and the way that they wrote their books of the Bible. Their unique personality and perspective shine through the scriptures. If you're looking for it, you can see it. Yet they mutually reinforce each other's writings. And so last week we made points about the writer himself, and then we concluded with points on the book itself. And so I'm going to follow the same format this week. And we began last week with the book of John, my personal favorite And John was the last of the Gospels written approximately 60 years after the others. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written around the same time. And John is a unique gospel. It's been called a spiritual gospel and the gospel of belief. So I want to just briefly recap what we went over last week in hopes that it sets you up to see some of the differences in uh, the approach of our writer tonight. Some of the points that we highlighted was that highlighted was that John's focus was on the deity of Jesus. And it's interesting to take into account how long John had to consider how he would approach his gospel compared to the way the other three did. The details had been covered by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John was an old man, the last living apostle at that time. And he approached his gospel through the lens of the importance of knowing who Jesus is. And John chose seven miracles or seven signs, as he called them, of Jesus to, who, to highlight who Jesus was and his unique mission on the earth. He also recorded different feasts and celebrations that he wanted us to know Jesus actually showed up at and attended. And the point in John doing that was to illustrate that Jesus was, in fact, the fulfillment of these celebrations. He was the Passover lamb. He went to a Passover feast. He was the light of the world. He was the tabernacle. He was the living water. And so from John's gospel, we realize the importance of knowing Jesus, not just in a theological sense, but in a personal relationship. We understand that the disciple whom Jesus loved wasn't just in close proximity to Jesus in a physical sense. But John wanted us to know from his experience with Jesus that it is not enough to be in the crowd. 
It is not enough to even be the recipient of a miracle, but we need to have an understanding, a personal experience to know Jesus for ourselves. And so John concluded his writing with the fact that he only recorded some of what Jesus did. In his words, the world could not contain the books that should be written about Jesus. What John recorded, he said, was for the purpose of our faith, that we might believe and have life through his name. And so tonight, we continue looking at the book of Mark. Ta-da! It's Mark. And I told you last week a little bit about the dialogue that took place between Tom and I as we um, divided up the weeks and who would teach on who. And so I'll give you uh, another part of how that went down. So I said, I call John. And then Tom said, well, I call Matthew. And then I said, I call Mark. And Tom said, man, I wanted Mark. <laughs> but he was like, fine. And I said, well, I quizzed over Mark, so I get to teach on him. So, uh-huh. so again, such spiritual leaders that you have and Casting lots, essentially, (laughs) to figure out uh, how we were going to teach this. But I love Mark. He is my kind of theologian. As my dad explained to me when I was a quizzer, Mark is a just-the-facts man kind of guy. And uh, we learned uh, selected chapters of the book of Mark in 1996. In fact, we were uh, national champions that year. It was the beginning of a back-to-back undefeated championship. Yes. And so Mark has a very special place in my heart. And it was a great book for the purpose of Bible quizzing because it's easy to learn and it's easy to understand. Not every writer is easy to learn. And Uh, Bible quizzers get a sense of that when they start trying to memorize the writings of Paul. Oh, God. Paul is so intelligent. And just imagine trying to help teenagers and even young children learn some of the books that he wrote. It's challenging in King James English. I'll just leave it at that. But I just want to... um, I don't know, be a little bit nostalgic here for a minute. I remember the specifics of the final games um, in San Antonio at the North American Bible Quiz Tournament. And so it was the first game of the finals. We were the undefeated team, and we were on the red side. And uh, Mississippi was the team we were quizzing. They were on the yellow side, and we were in this huge theater that, I don't know, seated probably 2,000 people. So a very intimidating environment to start. And um, I remember it was down to question 18. There's 20 questions left, and we needed one more to win. We were up by 80 points. I cleared my facts with Jonathan because I knew he would remember the details better than I would. And so on question 18, um, Brother Walker, who was the quiz master at the time, all he said was, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, in Mississippi hit. They interrupted the question. Now, You don't have to be a Bible quizzer to know that is way too early to interrupt, especially out of the book of Mark, because that phrase is repeated multiple times. And so, you know, that poor quizzer is devastated and we're inside jumping up and down because we're counting on him not picking the right verse and we're tasting sweet victory, sweet, beautiful championship. All we have to do is answer the reread and we are going to win. And so help me God, Uncle Marv says... 
that is correct. In that huge theater filled with about 1,000, 1,200 people stood up and cheered when he announced that he was correct. He got a standing ovation. And there we sat, just devastated, like, what is happening to us? How did he get that? So, thankfully, I think Dad called a timeout and tried to talk us off the ledge because we were freaked out, like, what is happening? That wasn't supposed to go that way. So, question 19 was a three-part cross-reference question. And the question was, as found in Mark 14, verse 47, who smote who with what? And in Mark 15, verse 19, who smoked who with what? And my captain, Jonathan, interrupted and answered perfectly. And the rest is Cincinnati Bible quizzing history, but it was a beautiful, beautiful time. So I love the book of Mark. And so I want to begin with points uh, for you to consider on Mark the man. And I will um, try to maybe give you a little bit of pause if you're taking notes. If you're not, that's fine. But I don't have all of these up here on the screen. So there is our version of Mark. All right. He's intense. So the first point is that Mark is also referred to in the scriptures as John Mark. Okay, he's the same guy. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but specifically in the New Testament, there are, there's more than one James, there's more than one John, there's a whole lot of Marys, and it's easy to confuse them all. And so let's just start by saying Mark, the writer of the gospel, is also John Mark, okay, who is referred to in the book of Acts. The second point about Mark is that Mark was most likely the youngest of the gospel writers, Hence his picture. He was a believer in the early church, and he's mentioned directly and only in the book of Acts. Okay, Now, Mark was a disciple, but he was not a part of the original 12. And I want to clarify what was a very general statement that I made last week. We listed three things that all, all writers had in common, and one of them was that they were all disciples. And I didn't clarify it last week because I was trying to be brief in my introduction. So let me clarify that statement now as it relates to Mark. Um, Because I would never intentionally mislead you or misinform you. Um, We can make the claim that Mark's account was an eyewitness account because of his close connection to Peter. Okay? Peter was a member of the original 12. And Mark served as Peter's scribe, if you will. Most likely, Peter did not speak Greek And he didn't know the language well enough to write it. He was just a fisherman from Galilee. Okay? So Mark was the guy that helped him write these things down. The next point is Mark's mother was a woman named Mary. There you go. Another Mary. And she was a prominent follower of Jesus. We know this because in Acts chapter 12... The Bible lets us know that it is in John Mark's mother's home in Jerusalem that the disciples met regularly. And you know I just have to throw that in there because I love studying women in scripture. But it's her house in uh, Jerusalem where the disciples meet in the book of Acts. Okay, the next point about Mark is Mark would have most likely only been a teenager when Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was very young. He may have seen and heard Jesus, although we can't confirm that specifically. But again, he was not a part of the original 12. Mark was an evangelist early in his ministry. And he traveled 
with the Apostle Paul and later with the Apostle Peter, as we've already said. Mark became a missionary and a co-laborer of Paul and Barnabas. Acts chapter 12, verse 25 tells us a little bit about that. And Mark was actually a part of Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey, as found in Acts chapter 13, verse 5. Now, this did not end well for our friend John Mark. The Bible lets us know that Mark actually abandoned his post with Paul. And this became a source of great contention between Barnabas and Paul. I love that the Bible includes these kind of details. To know that an elder like Barnabas and a fiery, earth-shaking apostle like Paul were at odds about a fellow believer just blesses me. These people were, in fact, human. Barnabas was not only a great encourager and believer in other people, we see that throughout the book of Acts, but he was also the uncle of John Mark, just to make things a little more interesting. And you find that reference in Colossians 4.10 if you want to look into that. So Paul and Barnabas disagreed so much about Mark that they parted ways over the matter. Paul was like, he left me, he jumped ship, he's not cut out for this, I'm done with him. Barnabas was like, he's young, he's a good guy, you need to give him another chance. The Bible says they could not agree about uh, Mark, and so they parted ways. Can you imagine what it would be like to be on the other end of an argument with Paul? I would not want to be in that position between his passion and his intelligence. I'm sure it was a very difficult conversation to navigate for Barnabas. But we do know, the Bible lets us know that eventually Paul changed his mind about young John Mark. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 says, Only Luke is with me. Now this is Paul talking. Take Mark, John Mark, and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So Paul, you're saying Barnabas was right. I think so. So thank God for people like Barnabas. People who extend mercy and believe in other people even when we have reason to give up on him. We need people like Barnabas in the church. It's a source of encouragement that believes in the young, that gives them a second chance maybe when they don't deserve it. And our last point about Mark the Apostle was that he may have been present at Jesus' arrest. Now, this is fascinating. The Bible nerd in me is going to shine through right now. Okay, in chapter 14, verses 50 through 52, The writer Mark describes a young man attempting to follow Jesus when the mob showed up to arrest him, okay? So if you read those verses, uh, chapter 14, verses 50 through 52, the details are kind of mysterious because he names other people, but he doesn't name this young man, just kind of shows up in the crowd. And um, it's very interesting. Some theologians believe that that is actually Mark in the story, that he has placed himself in that mob, that he was, in fact, the young man trying to follow Jesus from the garden that night. And so because he doesn't identify the person, he just calls him a young man, and because it's not recorded, this is fascinating, Nobody else records this detail. Matthew, Mark, and Luke make no mention of this young man. Only Mark does. And John Mark describes this young man as following Jesus 
that night. Pretty interesting. So now we move on to Mark the Gospel. Got a couple quotes about the Gospel of Mark to just kind of get you thinking. The Gospel of Mark is a case study in paradox. My second quote is, Mark preached the gospel of the serving, self-giving Messiah and demanded that all the traditions about Jesus as a wonder worker be made in that light. All right, so points on Mark the book. Here we go. Mark was written sometime between 55 and 59 AD. So that's interesting to know. Essentially, it's about 25 years after Jesus left the earth that Mark wrote this gospel. Mark was most likely the first gospel written. Matthew and Luke may very well have used Mark's account as a reference guide or a prototype, if you will, for their gospels. Mark was written for a Gentile audience, specifically a Roman one. And his approach is very evangelistic. And uh, we'll elaborate more on that later. The next point about Mark is that Mark accompanied Peter to Rome and stayed with Peter while he was in prison. In fact, Mark is known as Peter's interpreter, both in speech and in writing. And that's how we know it's Peter's uh, memories of Jesus, his experience that Mark records. And so according to the book that we're using in this series, it's likely that it was in Rome before Peter's death, and we know that Peter was crucified upside down, that Mark received Peter's recollections on the life and ministry of Jesus. What a privilege that must have been for a younger disciple to be near Peter, near the end of his life, and to hear from an eyewitness that all that Jesus had been, all that Jesus had done. What a privilege Mark had. Mark contains the observations and memories of the Apostle Peter, again, a member of Jesus' chosen 12. The next point, Mark, like John, does not begin his gospel with what we would refer to as the Christmas story. Isn't that interesting? This is something that Mark and John have in common. Now, if you think about it, the Gospels that we use a lot at Christmas are Matthew and Luke. They're the details, guys. They love it. That's why Tom is going to teach on those. And um, they give us all kinds of details. But Mark and John, and it's interesting to consider why this must be, um, decided that it was more important to get right to the chase. And they both begin their Gospel with John the Baptist in his ministry. Mark is the least technical or organized in his storytelling. And according to our book, Matthew and Luke paid more attention, attention to arranging the details of their narratives in a way that was in step with um, historical practices of the day. All right? And Mark moves quickly through the story of Jesus. Um, the author of our textbook also pointed out that he uses words like immediately straight way and forthwith. His book only takes 16 chapters to tell the same story that takes Matthew, Mark, and Luke 20 plus chapters to tell. Again, Mark is our just the facts, ma'am kind of guy. And finally, Mark's gospel is divided into two sections. 
The first section is chapters 1 through 8, and they uh, contain Jesus' public ministry. His journey to the cross is what makes up the second section of the book of Mark, and that is chapters 9 through 16. And so um, as we hasten to our app time, I just want to break down those two sections of Mark for you here. The first one, Jesus' ministry. Mark takes a lot of time to talk about the miracles of Jesus. One reason um, could be that he was writing with Romans in mind, the people of Roman of Rome, rather. They were um, obsessed with success. Rome was a large and in charge kind of empire. And Mark has these people in mind to let them know Jesus is a big deal, you guys. Jesus is powerful and he can do anything. And Mark's writing style is very dramatic. Um, He actually, the way he writes often in the present tense makes you feel as a reader that you are actually there, that it's actually happening in front of you. And that is so cool of Mark. That is awesome to make us feel included in these incredible things that Jesus did. And Mark emphasizes Jesus' authority over evil spirits, over sickness, and over death. I want to read from the book of Mark in chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. That evening at sundown, they brought to him, to Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And so another quote uh, for you by Richard Hayes says, The gospel of Mark tells a mysterious story enveloped in apocalyptic urgency, a story that focuses relentlessly on the cross. And so the second half of the book of Mark is about Jesus' journey to the cross. Think about that. He took half of his book to tell you all of the details about Jesus and the cross, how he got there, what happened afterwards. And it's interesting for us to consider tonight who Mark was and who he was influenced by when looking at his gospel. The first gospel's message is simply, it's all about the cross. Amen. That's what Mark wanted us to know about Jesus that Jesus died on the cross. Mark was writing to people without a Jewish heritage. They were Gentiles. They didn't understand all about who Jesus was. They didn't have the Shema. They didn't have some kind of understanding of God. And so what Mark decided to make his focus to the people that he was writing to was that this is what he believed to be the most important. You need to know that Jesus died on the cross for you. And what a powerful, what a clear example that sets to you and I. When we talk to people who maybe don't know who Jesus is, maybe they have no experience with Pentecost, no experience with Christianity. Mark sets a clear example to say, you know what? All they really need to know is that Jesus died on the cross. Amen. Mark's story proves the power and necessity of other believers in our journey and in our ability to accomplish God's will for our lives. You see, Mark was too young to follow Jesus closely. 
but he had a mother who was heavily involved in the church. He had an uncle who believed in him. He was raised in the early days of the church. Peter and Paul invested in Mark, and the church sent Mark on these missionary journeys. The church believed in Mark and gave him a chance. And here's the point I want to make through all of this is that Mark didn't get it all right, but he never gave up. He never gave up on serving Jesus. He never gave up on that call, that desire that he had in his heart to do something for God. He stayed close to the church. Read the book of Acts. Mark is throughout that. He let great men and elders speak into his life. He helped the church in very practical ways. He was a blessing to the ministries of Paul and Peter before he even really focused on his writings and after he had even started his own ministry as an evangelist. We see John Mark at the side of Paul at the side of Peter, doing what they needed him to do to help them spread the gospel. Mark's uh, contributions to the church were in some ways very practical, like his mother's was. She was a believer in Jerusalem with a decent-sized house, and so she offered it to the disciples, and they met there. They essentially had church there, if you will. It's where they gathered. And I can't help but wonder if Mark was just following his mother's example to realize there's so much more to do than just to teach and to speak in the kingdom of God. But there's got to be people willing to do whatever needs to be done. And that would see Mark leave his evangelistic time, if you will, and travel with Paul and Barnabas because Paul and Barnabas were going on their first missionary journey and maybe they didn't know what to expect. Maybe because of their age or their season of life, they felt like they needed a strapping young lad with them to help them through the process. All we know is that Mark was there. And even though he messed up, he got freaked out. Who knows what it was like traveling with Paul. He bailed on the first missionary journey and thank God for Barnabas, his uncle, who said, you're wrong about Mark. There's something in him. There's a call in his life. You need to give him another chance. And so thank God Paul did. He acknowledged that in his letter to Timothy and said, send me Mark because he is profitable to me for the ministry. And we know that Mark helped Peter, the apostle, that powerful man of God. Near the end of his life, going to Rome, Mark traveled with him to Rome. Now, I think that that would take guts. Knowing what we know about Rome and how they felt about Christians, how they felt about the disciples specifically, they wanted to snuff them out because they were the eyewitnesses, right? They were the people keeping the pot stirred about who Jesus was long after he was gone. And we see Mark step up to the plate to say, Peter, I'm your guy and I'm going to Rome with you. And it was so much more than just a trip to keep a good disciple company in prison. But Peter was telling Mark who Jesus was. He was telling Mark what it was like to be around Jesus and to see him work and to know how powerful he was that he had authority over demonic spirits. He had authority over sickness. Young Mark, he had authority over death. I was there. I saw it. Thank God for people in our lives who tell us who Jesus is. And I would say to the Calvary Church, it's so important that we tell the next generation who Jesus is. 
and what he's done in your life. Mark is a living example. His gospel is an example of the power of giving that kind of information to someone else. Sharing your story, sharing your personal revelation of who Jesus is. And so this is what I know tonight, that God honored the servant's heart in John Mark. Something that he saw modeled in his mother. Something that he no doubt saw modeled in the early church. He witnessed firsthand the faithfulness of Peter up until his death in Rome. Mark got it right. He learned that the cross is all that matters. And I know he didn't come to that conclusion on his own. He had elders in his life. He had a church that believed in him. And look what God did through the life of John Mark. Because the cross gives everybody a second chance. The cross offers hope to anyone's future Even if they fail God, even if they disappoint the church, Mark wants us to know that it's worth extending mercy. It's worth investing in young people that maybe you're not sure they're even going to stay in the church. Keep investing. Share your story. Share truth with other people. You have no idea the impact that it can make on them and their future. Amen. And so now it is app time. And our first question to consider together was who in your life has greatly influenced your view of Jesus? I would say one of those people for Mark was Peter. And so I want you to think about that and discuss it among yourselves. The second thing is, was there a time in your life when you left or gave up on your calling. You gave up on your sense of personal mission in the church. And who helped you back? For Mark, one of those people was Barnabas. All right, so I want you to make sure that nobody is on their own. Everybody has something, somebody to discuss with, and we're just going to take a few minutes, and we're going to discuss who in your life has greatly influenced your view of Jesus And was there a time in your life when you left the church or who helped you back into the church? Okay. If you could just conclude your discussion for us and we'll wrap up here in the next few minutes. So did anybody learn anything about the person near you, their experience with God or whatever. I think, I think the app time is so awesome. It adds a, a great piece to Growth University because growth happens in our lives, not just through studying the Word of God, but by being together, by being a part of God's church. And we definitely see that in the life of Mark. And so uh, tonight, as I conclude, I want to acknowledge um, as your pastor that Today has been a very hard day, and uh, personally, it's uh, the beginning of the anniversary of the greatest loss in my life so far, and uh, I realized tonight that I'm not the only one hurting, and I'm not the only one aware of it, and uh, today I was struggling to prepare and to uh, focus in the way that I needed to, and the Lord was so kind to remind me that 
It was from the book of Mark that our bishop, my dad, would write his last communication to the church. And I certainly didn't plan the series that way, but it made me feel good to know that the Lord knew I needed that today. And um, I think it's safe to say that for many of us, we, when we got that email, we didn't realize that it would be the last time that uh, we would hear his voice, so to speak, that his voice would edify the church really around the world uh, because there were thousands of people praying and uh, following uh, things as they unfolded. And I remember clearly where I was sitting in the hospital room as Dad dictated those words to me from his bed. It took him, and this makes me marvel still, only about 10 minutes to write that communication. And if memory serves me correct, he had me change one word. It just flowed out of him with such clarity. At that point, he wasn't able to get out of bed, and he wasn't able to type. And yet his voice was clear and strong in that moment when it was time to let the church know what he was feeling and what he was going through at that point. And the anointing and hand of God on him was evident as he was writing this letter. Even in such horrendous circumstances, you could see the presence of the hand of the Lord on him in that hospital bed. And I know that this is heavy and it's very, very hard, but dad would always encourage uh, people, uh, even our family, to say it's okay to be sad. It's good to cry. I even heard him say it's important to cry. I believe he told that to one of my girls one time. And so as we conclude tonight, I want to read those words. And I believe they have greater meaning now than they did then. And I believe the Lord wants to comfort us through our bishop's words tonight. Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith are they and they were filled with great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him as a boy my dad had me memorize the core of this passage the portion that stood out to me was the exclamation peace be still i was confused at the use of the word in this setting i personally translated the phrase please be still It made sense because please is the magic word. And over time, I have realized that, in fact, storms to God are really just peace waiting for his touch. Last week, we were thrown into the greatest storm of our lives. 
What must not be lost in this miracle is the severity of the storm that the Gospel of Mark records. The Sea of Galilee was known for its sudden and deadly storms. In reality, the term great could be translated seismic. These lifetime veterans of the sea realized they were in mortal danger. And in the midst of this, Jesus was asleep. What freaks us out is an environment in which Jesus is not rattled, alarmed, desperate, or shaken. As our storm unfolded, we, in fact, felt like those disciples in that we did not know how we would survive or how we would make it. We finally reached out to the Lord amidst our emotional freefall. We cried out to Jesus for help. He had always been in the boat, but we reacted in ourselves before reaching out to the Almighty One. It is a tragic truth that often we turn to Him after we have turned to the storm. Seeing the storm without Jesus is overwhelming and terrifying. As it was in Mark 4, so it was for us. Jesus stood and rebuked the storm and declared peace in the very face of our circumstance. These events in our lives have critically reshaped how we face such challenges. Our mistake is that we look at the storm before we look at the Lord. We assess the danger. We calculate impending devastation. Our emotions are torn, and we are terrified. May the Lord help us moving forward as we face storms to realize that Jesus is in the boat. He is still the mighty one who looks at the storm and declares, Peace be still. Norman R. Pasley II, February the 11th, 2018. This provides us with an undeniable example of the power of the gospel accounts. Though Mark's account we know essentially came from Peter, these incredible followers of Jesus were used by God to share an event in the life and ministry of Jesus that would speak so clearly to us on February the 13th, 2019. There is a storm. We are still hurting. And on a day like today, we feel our faith being tossed by the elements, the details, the memories, the things that we will never understand. But Mark's words remind us that Jesus is in the boat. He is still the mighty one who looks at the storm and declares, Peace be still. Would you stand with me? I want us to pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for using Peter and Mark to let the Calvary Church know that Jesus is in the boat. That on a day like today, where the winds are howling, the boat is being tossed, things don't feel right Things seem sometimes out of control. How can this be? Why did you let it happen, Lord? These things that shake us to our core do not affect you. They do not rattle you. 
You are not afraid of our questions. You care about our pain. And Lord, I know that just as you wept with Martha and Mary, so you weep with us, for you are full of compassion. And so, Lord, I ask you to stand in our boat as a church, to stand in our boat as a family, every person that was loved and cared for by this great man, And would you please speak once again to the storm of our sorrow, the storm of our confusion, the storm of our torment, and declare, peace be still. For according to Mark, you are a miracle-working God, and we still believe it. You are a wonder-working servant, Lord. We still believe that here. And so I thank you for the hope of your word, and together we look for that blessed day, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We comfort one another with these words. Go with us this week and in the weeks to come, and let us know that you are with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.